This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I think probably better than you are after how many hours you were in meetings yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a long day. Um, about eight hours in two separate plan commission meetings. You know, we talked about how these meetings moving towards Zoom has been kind of a blessing for you and that you're able to go to more of them. You can, you can kind of uh, open up two at the same time if you want wanted to. And it sounds like that's what you spent some of your time doing yesterday is popping back and forth between two different meetings. But at the same time, it also means that maybe you're more committed to staying with more of these meetings longer and spending more of your hours in them. Yep, that's definitely the case. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I'm on the the board at Right On Door County, and we talk about, you know, right now after a year of Zoom classes and Zoom meetings and things like that, early on, it was a neat way to reach more people. But now you have this Zoom fatigue for a lot of people. And I feel that myself. In in a normal week, I would probably take advantage of a, a webinar or two, um, you, know, you know, from like a journalism organization or just any sort of organization to, to learn more and um, try to find new skills and stuff or just be entertained. And now that I'm on Zoom, basically all day for meetings and for even internal meetings, it's really tough to then go from that to try to do another Zoom session for entertainment. So yesterday was one of those days with probably between those two meetings, plus like some internal meetings, probably like 10 or 12 hours just staring at a screen. So let's talk about those two meetings. Uh, there was a lot discussed and we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about a couple of the big ticket items from yesterday. Uh, tell me what meetings you were involved at and what we kind of uh, were talking about for eight hours plus. Well, in the early slate of games yesterday, it was the shipwrecked proposal in the Village of Egg Harbor. And then in, in the evening, in the primetime matchup, it was the Pebble Beach proposal, uh, the, the condos proposed for the former Little Sister Resort property. But uh, yeah, the, the plan commission meeting for the Village of Egg Harbor went about six and a half hours and started at noon and was that entire time was spent on a couple of kind of complicated permits that... Um, and approvals that the owners of Shipwreck Brew Pub are seeking to expand their restaurant. Right, and that expansion is pretty significant too. Uh, it it may it may end up putting Shipwreck at one of the biggest restaurants in the county. Correct? They're looking to expand their seating, and so their their new total of seats would put them, you know, maybe all the way up at the top. Right? Yeah, uh, it, it's a tough one to figure out without doing a an in depth examination, and there are some some caveats to this, but. I think off the top of my head, I think that would be the, the largest day-to-day restaurant operating in the county. At uh, Joe Smith said at a meeting in January that they operated about 300 people as is, 300 seats as is. Um, this would add 92 seats in an outdoor beer garden and uh, dining area that would be located on what has long been Christine's Casual Shop, the yellow building right next to it that um, Aaron Bosm or Aaron Anschutz has purchased to move to her place at the Patricia Shop. So she's going to move that building and that's going to open up that space. And Shipwrecked has proposed doing a, a beer garden similar to what uh, maybe One Barrel or Stabur up in Sister Bay does. For comparison's sake, Al Johnson's long the busiest restaurant in the county between their indoor dining space and Stabur, their beer garden next door, they have 300 seats. 
And they also have a really massive parking lot that essentially serves, you know, for better or worse for Al's as like a, a sister bay public parking lot <laughs> throughout the most of the summer. Um, that parking lot, I don't know exactly how many spots are there, but if I would say on the conservative end, there's probably 75 parking spots in that lot. Might be much more than that. I'm not sure. Shipwrecked, on the other hand, they're looking to expand. They would be at, so about 30% larger than the Al's and Stibwer uh, combination. And there would only be 22 on-site parking spaces. So it makes sense that if you add seats, you should add parking, but that's actually part of the zoning as well, right? That's why this conversation took so long yesterday, correct? Yeah, there's, I mean, Egg Harbor's been struggling with this, figuring out this parking um, issue for quite a while. Um, I, I think it goes back at least to the time I moved back to the county in 2017 was when it first started to come up. And they it largely revolved around one barrel brewing company and their creation of an indoor-outdoor dining space that and dining and, and drinking space that can handle maybe 300 people on a busy day in that huge beer beer garden out front but only putting in a kind of a small relatively small number of parking spaces but this is in part by design and so i'm not i don't want to just put this like all on shipwreck or all on one barrel for this egg harbor in hopes of spurring development about 10 years ago started doing some things regulatory wise to try and entice people to to develop and develop in the downtown core area. So they had a kind of a weird rule where they said, you can count all the parking spots, all of the on-street parking within 500 feet of your business, you can count toward your parking needs. Hmm. So what is that? I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, but that brings up problems because then you have multiple businesses counting the same parking spot. Right. And that's not really how it works. (laughs) You can't stack cars on top of each other. Uh, and you can, but it's not good for the car. <laughs> well, sure. And and so, do you do you know offhand what the the ratio is for seats to parking spaces? Yes, it's you're allowed one uh, four seats for every parking space. So with Shipwreck's case, they're allowed to have um, to operate now based on being grandfathered in. Um, that Shipwreck has that has been a pub and an inn going back to the turn of the century. It's one of the before the fire, it was one of the oldest buildings in the village of Egg Harbor. And it's always operated at that corner as a restaurant and eatery dating back to when you didn't even need to worry about cars, you know, let alone the road and and parking. Right. So that's how that exists. And you don't want to, you know, when a village does this, you can't set a new rule and then tell an existing business, you, you can't do what you've always done now. So that's what I mean by grandfathered in, like you've operated this way. We're not going to make you change that now and, and suddenly tear down part of your building and put in parking. Um, or you got a loan for this business based on it being operating with 200 seats, and now we're going to make you take away 100. You can't kind of retroactively do that because there's all sorts of ramifications to that. But moving forward, what Shipwrecked is trying to do is combine these two parcels. So once you combine and expand, you know, by rule in a village, well, now you're creating like a new entity, a new business, and new expansion. So now you do have to abide by a lot of those rules. So I guess my question there is, uh, you say you can't kind of retroactively do things, but like in my experience, a lot of grandfather clauses dictate like you can exist the way that you are, but as soon as you change something, then you are like, then, then everything kind of kicks in. Exactly. Okay. So, so like if you had a kitchen without like certain, you know, health code changes all the time, every restaurant that exists can't like just constantly keep up with, you know, some of these changes. Cause you know, if a, a restaurant was built 
50 years ago with a kitchen of a certain size without certain things, like you can't now cram those in. So as you evolve and change, then they would ask you to like, all right, now you got to put in a mop sink or now you have to put in an Ensel system the next time you upgrade and things like right. that. Is Shipwreck currently operating with more seats than, than parking? Yes. Okay. And so my question then is if they decide to add more, do they have to add the amount of parking spaces for the amount of seats that they're adding, or do they have to retroactively include all of their overages as well? So now they have to comply by all of that. So okay. to do this expansion, and what that number is, is 97 parking spaces. Obviously, they can't squeeze 97 parking spaces onto the little sliver of a corner they own there. And from a development standpoint, you don't necessarily want them to. Like it, it's, not, it's not a good investment in public space to put that to put major downtown parcels into parking. Uh, it's better to have, for tax purposes, it's better to have it be development for um, urbanization and the avoidance of a, like a missing tooth downtown. You don't want a big parking lot in the middle of downtown that, that crushes walkability. Um, think of Egg Harbor Road in Sturgeon Bay. Is that a pleasant stroll to go past massive parking lot after massive parking lot? And then when a business goes under, like in the case of the old um, uh, Pomita building, you know, you, that parking lot has been a massive paved lot that has sat empty for most of my adult life. So you don't want to have that kind of situation, but you also do need to accommodate a certain number of cars. So before we get into some of the other considerations that were talked about, I, I have to ask, because we're talking about parking and street parking and walkability, uh, one way that I see that you can kind of alleviate the parking question is to increase the amount of parking on the street, but also increase the walkability of the town because then it becomes like, okay, you've got your handicap parking for accessibility right next to the building. And then for everybody else, you've got a really nice walkable town with sidewalks uh, that encourage you to park further away and walk to your destination. Mm -hmm. uh, so then the question here is uh, shipwrecked is also holding up some accessibility and some sidewalk stuff too with their little sliver of land uh, that we talked about on the podcast a couple months ago now or maybe last month uh does that play into this question at all uh yes and i would change the phrase there like holding up is tough it is their property and i understand them not you know this is my property you want to put a sidewalk there eminent domain is always tricky like my grandma right. my grandmother used to own the house in the middle of town which is now uh owned by the same people who own Shipwrecked and Fat Louis is right there. And when they redid the highway years ago, they carved a, a big chunk of the front yard out there and to, to make the curve a little safer and to add some uh, additional sidewalk space there. And, you know, it's a good thing for the town. I, I don't remember it being a huge controversy other than saying like, hmm, we're going to lose that tree that grandma always looked at. And, you know, as a little kid, I was bummed by it, but <laughs> it's part of, you know, the town was growing a little bit and it helped them make a much better, pedestrian way. In this case, the town is looking to do that same thing to connect its downtown to its public beach, which to do that, they people need to walk alongside the shipwreck building on County Highway G. And long story, as short as I can make it, they look to can take a, a short parcel, small parcel of that land and create a sidewalk through there. Shipwreck has been fighting that, um, saying that, no, you can't take that just for a sidewalk. And and the village would be reimbursing them to the tune of, I think, 40-some thousand dollars for that little sliver of land. Um, but I say little sliver. Shipwreck says, that's my property. Whether it's little or large, like, it's still mine. So right. I, I understand that from a, a, an ownership piece. But it's, I think, to anybody who's walked in Egg Harbor and has gone to that beach and has dealt with that intersection, um, 
it seems like a very clear need that like, yes, people walk that way. People walk on the road now. That's not particularly safe. A sidewalk is a huge benefit. I would argue to everyone in the town, even shipwrecked, to have a sidewalk and a safe, inviting way to get into the building. Right. So uh, we have a couple other things to talk about, but before we move on from shipwrecked, were there any other uh, things that were brought up in the meeting beyond the the parking side of it? Yeah. Um, so there's that parking issue. Um, and, and the way the, that shipwrecked, is, you might just say like, well, obviously that's not enough parking for that many seats, right? Because they have that 500 that where you can count street parking within 500 feet of your business, and you can also do some shared parking arrangements. The way that Shipwrecked is proposing getting there is with 22 on-site parking spaces and then counting five spots from across the street at Fat Louie's, their additional property, even though that might be used as another business. Right now, that property is for lease. So then you have complications like, well, if we count that, but then you lease that to somebody who opens a cafe with 25 seats, well, now they need those parking spaces. So now we can't retroactively (laughs) find those spaces for you. They're also trying to count some spaces at the Cape Cod, uh, what used to be the Cape Cod Motel, is now uh, owned for them for employee housing. And that is beyond 500 feet away. And they want to count those to their total. And that's complicated as well. I mean, that's a long walk to say, like, that's who your people are going to use. And the argument would be like, well, our employees will be housed there, so that's where they will park. And so you get into a lot of sticky things. And now you can imagine, what if every business starts to propose things this way? That's, that's going to raise a lot of questions. The other 55 spots that they they need, they're saying they're getting from street parking, which would eat up like almost all the street parking in that area. Um, And obviously other businesses are already claiming that. Further complicating this parking discussion is that Joe Smith, the general manager of Shipwrecked, is also the plan commission chair for the village of Egg Harbor. In this meeting, he stepped away from the plan commission and presented, and he was was, uh, making the case for the Shipwrecked expansion. Um, And Cambria Miller was running the, the plan commission meeting. The, the thing about this is in December, the Village of Egg Harbor Plan Commission voted to recommend, or actually in November, the Plan Commission voted to recommend to the, the village that they eliminate the the allowance for, for counting on-street parking spaces entirely. The Village Board of Trustees voted also to, um, to take that action and then instructed their staff to draw up an ordinance, but that wasn't officially approved yet. So... There are some members of the plan commission who said they were trying to push that recommendation forward months and months and months ago, and that the plan commission chair just didn't bring it forward, Joe Smith. And now there's some people have alleged that he was slow rolling that so that they could get this proposal in first. So, right, because then then the question becomes if if this is approved and they use all of this shared on street parking, and then the vote comes through after the fact to not allow that anymore, you have another grandfathered situation, right? Yes. Okay. So, and that was alleged by a couple of different people at the meeting, and that's going to be interesting to see how the village fleshes that out. Right. Uh, anything else on shipwrecked before we move on? When does this come up again? Yeah, well, and. This hearing went on for six and a half hours. They also talked to uh, the neighboring property owner um, owned by Bob Howley, Signature Pieces. A good chunk of what this plan was based on is a shared use arrangement with the driveway that is owned by Bob Howley and, and Signature Pieces. And Bob Howley came onto the meeting and said, there is no shared use agreement in place at all. And in fact, the owners of Shipwrecked have never so much as broached the idea of a shared use agreement with him. So the entire plan and the setbacks would change significantly if that agreement is not in place. And which would 
you know, in, in my reading of it, if I were on that plan commission, I would, I would have probably stopped the discussion right there because that could drastically alter how many seats we'd be talking about, where the parking would be, and how the whole plan would, would be arranged. So that was an inter- interesting wrench thrown into the equation. And then there's also the impervious surface allotment. So Egg Harbor has a limit of impervious surface. That means buildings, pavement, all those concrete patios, those kind of things, of 60% on a parcel. This would put, the, I think the impervious surface would be about 81%. Now, Shipwrecked is arguing that, the owners of Shipwrecked are arguing that by putting in this kind of advanced and, and well-engineered stormwater filtration system, they will be achieving the goal of that 60% by handling the stormwater. One of the discussions then became like, what's the 60% ordinance in place for? Is that just for stormwater management? That's definitely a component. Or it's part of that to ensure that we have some green space on these and we don't just build out the entire thing. And that is something that really wasn't answered at the meeting yesterday and will probably come up again in the future. Uh, Chris Rodel from Hash Distillery Distilling Company pointed out that, you know, Egg Harbor has become a green tier community and they're trying to add green space. And that is that that ordinance is not just for stormwater management, but for just requiring people to have more green space on a property. So that's going to be interesting how that one shakes out as well. Um, one one plan commissioner said like, well, 60% is going to be hard for anyone to do. So we got to decide on on what that real number is, which I've seen that come up at a lot of plan commission meetings lately of people saying, well, what is the guidance we should give developers? Or, well, we have to give them, you know, we, we have to tell them the hoops to jump through here. So we have to give them guidance on what it is. And Emily Pitchford actually last summer made a really great point with the, or maybe two summers ago with the Village View condominium proposed across the street where she said, we gave you that guidance. It's called our zoning code. Like we're not supposed to tailor our guidance to every proposal that comes forward. We create a code that tells you what you can build. What you're asking for are us to make exceptions. So don't come here and then say, well, tell me what I can and can't do. The zoning code does that. So it's pretty interesting. Um, and, and communities kind of tie themselves in knots as they try to appease different developments and make exceptions. And then you've just made so many exceptions that your code maybe just doesn't carry water at a certain point. Right. And each exception sets a precedent for future exceptions as well. So it it becomes a question of where do we hold firm on these and where do we make exceptions and and how far is too far. Yep. So why don't we move on to Sister Bay? We had some discussion about uh, some Proposed condominiums at the Little Sister Resort area. And we talked about this on the podcast when it had first kind of come up a couple months ago. Uh, but there was also some talk about Pebble Beach there as well. So walk me through that meeting. Uh, so that meeting was much shorter, at least the Pebble Beach portion of it. They had a lot of other topics on the on the table. Um, but this was for the plan commission to vote on what conditions they wanted to put on the, the condos proposed for that Pebble Beach area. The... That area is zoned for B1 commercial, and the owners, Lance and Bridget Crane, are seeking to get a conditional use permit to do condominium, residential condominium development there. So when you apply for the conditional use permit, just like shipwrecked, the village can put conditions on that. Now, what those conditions are and how far they go is always up for debate. There are state legislative rules that have kind of hampered what a what a community can demand of a of a property owner and what they can deny and approve with those but the village came in um firing last night and asked for a number of things that were you know in the village's mind justified in the developer's minds seemed onerous so that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out going forward 
Um, when Lance Crane proposed, initially came to the village looking to build his dream house on that property, he basically touted as not just us building this house, but we are bringing us to the village of Sister Bay. Uh, good citizens um, kind of implied that that they would be making contributions in many ways to the village. Talked about wanting to maintain the Fred and Fuzzy's bathroom there for the use of these condo owners. So, and create a path down to the water for the use of the condo's owners. So what the village asked them is, well, if you plan to make this path, we're asking you to make it ADA accessible and add a viewing area at the end of it. So this is something you said you wanted to do. We're just asking you to do it nicer. <laughs> um, and then if you're the developer, you're like, yeah, you're asking me to do it more expensively. <laughs> so there's a trade-off there. Um, and then also the village asked, like, deed over the bathroom part to the village, make it part of the Pebble Beach property, and it'll be available for the condo owner's use and for beachgoers' use, and the village will maintain it. That's another request they made. They made a request that they not include Pebble Beach in the name of the condos, um, that they help improve the road in front of the condominiums once all the construction is completed and presumably a bunch of dump trucks come in there and take put a lot of wear and tear on the road, just like on Gibraltar Road in Fish Creek took a lot of beatings when the school buses started driving down that road and they had to redo that road. Um, and then also uh, one of the other major things was to not have any of those condominiums be available for transient lodging, which addresses kind of like that vacation rental thing that everyone's fighting up here. And also assistance in building a parking lot for the Pebble Beach um, land trust slash village preserve there. Right. So it sounds like a lot of the, the, the compromises there were to improve access to Pebble Beach, correct? Correct. Uh, because that's, I mean, that's the big question for this is the Pebble Beach gets preserved uh, and then pretty much immediately after or almost right alongside, you have this proposal for everything around Pebble Beach. Mm -hmm. So the village is kind of using this as a way to say like, okay, let's take what we have and make it better. We'll allow what you're looking for, uh, but we want some give and take in order to preserve and enhance what we've got here in Pebble Beach. Right. And I, I totally get what you're saying, whereas like from my perspective, I'm like, oh yeah, that all makes sense. Preserve, protect, enhance, that kind of stuff. But uh, there's the the dollar amount on it as well. And I can see how if you are, are trying to put something in, you're, you're looking at each one of these considerations and going like, okay, that's increasing my budget by 10, 20, 30%. Right. Yeah. And, and the developers made that point. They said like, well, this, you know, these aren't feasible economically. Like it wouldn't, it would cost us so much money to do some of these that this doesn't make our project worthwhile. And that's up for debate. Any developer says that about everything that a village might ask of them. And yet they still do developments, but that might be the case with some of these things. But as Nate Bell, uh, the plan commissioner for one of the plan commissioners for Sister Bay pointed out last night, he said that, the financial viability of your project is not the plan commission's concern. Like we're not here to make it work for you financially. We are here to enforce the village zoning and also to um, push toward the vision that this village has sought and protect the tax base, that kind of thing. So that, that is a, that is something that most developers don't understand. I think when they go forward is, well, this, this would be too expensive. It's like, well, you bought the property. Like that was your decision to do this. You knew this was a consequence. You applied for a conditional use permit. A conditional use permit means we're going to put conditions on it. So I'd imagine there's going to be some back and forth here. Um, maybe the village doesn't get everything at once. Maybe, maybe it does. Um, maybe it goes to court at some point. Who knows? The developers did not seem pretty keen on a lot of these. Um, 
they did say they wanted to work with the village on some things and see what they could do. So maybe there's a potential relationship building there. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how that shakes out. So the last thing that I want to talk about with you today, just because it's been a little bit since we have uh, talked about it and, and even longer since we've had some, some pretty good news about it. Uh, so in terms of COVID and vaccinations, uh, things were, were kind of stalled for a little bit as the, the demand grossly outweighed the supply of the vaccines. Uh, and we got to a point where appointments were being canceled and postponed and, and redone. Uh, but there has been some headway that has been made in the last week on vaccinations, correct? Yeah, Public Health announced this week that they were allotted 360 doses this week, new doses. So that um, what they told said in their press release was that that means they can get through their entire wait list of 1,400 people. So they were busy scheduling appointments and trying to get in touch with all those people. And once they get all of them scheduled, they could start taking new appointments. So they're finally a month later able to start taking new appointments for the vaccine. And the county is now up to about 20% of the population with at least one dose of the vaccine, which is uh, pretty incredible and speaks to one, the age of the county. We have a lot of people who are eligible. So that, that helps us get more. We have a lot of people in nursing homes and care facilities also helps us get more. Yeah, that's the thing that that's so wild to me is that even though we've had these delays and even though we're still on just the second group of people that are being vaccinated, the fact that like in just those first two groups accounted for 20% of the population already, that that is wild. And that just speaks to like how much further along we are in this than, than we probably thought. Like you and I want to get vaccinated as soon as possible, but to know that 20% has already been vaccinated, probably makes that weight feel a little bit better. If we were sitting at 5%, I feel like it would be a lot more uh, of an emergency. Like, let's get let's yeah. get going. But since we're sitting at 20% and, and so much of our population is in that, that higher age range, it, it makes me feel like we are actually making a lot of really good progress. On yeah, this. it is. In a day-to-day, -day, we can get stuck in the weeds of what we can't do and, and the, the bad news on this. And even though the vaccine rollout has been far slower than, than was promised in the fall, you know, we're still four months, four months ago, the vaccine was approved. Two months ago, it really started to get beyond the first frontline healthcare workers and to some of the more general population. So two months later, we have a huge chunk, 40% of our 65 and over population in Wisconsin, more than 40% have now received at least one dose. That is the population that prominently is getting sick, getting hospitalized and dying from the virus. That is the population that we've all been trying to protect for so long. Yes, there are others. There are people with pre-existing conditions and other complications. But the large part of what makes this virus so deadly and so problematic and why it shuts down so many things that we'd normally be able to do is because of that older population. And, you know, two months in, we've got to 40%. So you think, all right, if we're still ramping up and another month from now, where might we be? And at that point, you really have to start rethinking the calculus on the, the risk calculus on the virus, where it really does become something that's much more manageable. Um, I think we've had eight cases over the last week in Door County and only 54, 52 for the month of February. Uh, very few hospitalizations. You're starting to take that burden off the hospital and healthcare workers. They're vaccinated, so they're not at as great of risk. They're at a very small risk then for getting sick themselves. And we're finally starting to protect the people that, that A, were most at risk, and B, did the most important work for us over the last year in trying to keep us healthy and, and save lives. Right. Well, and we're sitting at 17 active cases as of February 23rd. So yeah. 
twenty percent plus seventeen active cases. It's like that. That is a really good place to be at right now, and it it makes me very hopeful for what the next couple months look like. Even though we're we're gonna have this supply and demand problem for a while. Yeah. Um. It to to take a breath and be like, okay, actually, where are we right now? It it is <laughs> it's a lot better than I I maybe would have thought it would be given the news of the delays. Yeah. Nationwide, we're still at a level that is probably like something close to October, not as bad as it was in December and early January, but still worse than it was last summer. Locally, we're at the lowest levels we've been at since last summer. And um, probably comparable to late August, early September. And back to the point where six months ago where we could actually trace contacts, we're back at that point. When we're getting one or two a day, you can actually know where it came from. So you're actually talking about getting out of the community spread category, um, which that's been a long time coming. Right. So with that, Miles, uh, I, I think that we've covered pretty much everything that happened yesterday. For this the was most a good part. speed rush. Nice job. Yeah, we were able to get it all in. And it, it's kind of wild how one day can load you up with all of that stuff to talk about. But Well, and there's also this week we have Tom and Gibraltar talking special assessments on Wednesday night, Dollar General meeting on Thursday, and in it in the town of Egg Harbor. And Joel Kitchens has a listening session this week as well. So it's it's a tough week to keep up with. Yeah, and definitely a good week to pick up the pulse too. I know that you have finally, finally put the gas on a This Week in Door County piece uh, <laughs> where you can kind of run down all of this stuff that, that does pop up so quickly. Um, so check that out. Uh, go to our website for more information. I mean, even in 30 minutes, I don't think we were able to cover everything that no. we wanted to talk about. <laughs> so uh, check that out. Anything that breaks like this, we're putting up on the website right away. So you can go up there and check things out. Uh, and uh, I, I hope that you enjoy the, the Pulse this week. Uh, I think the A&E section turned out really, really nice. Uh, beautiful as always. So uh, enjoy uh, what you read. And Miles, thank you for chatting with me. Thank you, Andrew. Again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at the Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.